did it or not, we memorized it or not. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start it, and let's see if we can all say it together. It ain't going to be on the screen or anything like that. So let's see, ready? 2 Timothy 3.16, all... Whoa, 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 whoa. I, you're supposed to memorize it in the ESV. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so all scripture is breathed out by God and for teaching, for, for, and for. Good job, good job, good job. All right, so tonight, this morning, we're going to uh, look at 1 Peter 2, 9. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter 2, 9. Here are one verse for the day. 1 Peter 2, 9 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do what we've done each week. We're gonna walk through it word by word and uh, break down the entire thing. So, but you, but you. You know, one of the things I think is important for us as we take this deep dive in this kind of zoomed in view of this verse, we've got to remember that this verse comes in a context, that it isn't like a fortune cookie, right? You get a fortune cookie and it has this little pithy saying on it, it's like, oh, okay, or like the cap of a Snapple bottle, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's got this little saying, a little quote, a little factoid on it. Verses are not like that. And so often when we come to verse like this, we think that it just kind of stands alone, stands by itself, but it comes in a context. Here's part of the problem. When we, t- when we do that, right, when we kind of take them by themselves, we end up doing what, we, what every athlete does to Philippians 4.13, right? There's 30 seconds on the clock, 30 yards to go, down by three. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Ready, set, right? But that's not what that verse is about. That verse is about being content, not about being able to throw a Hail Mary. Or you you didn't study for the test and and you show up and you go, oh, Jesus, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Help me me to pass this test. (laughs) That's not what the verse is about. But we do that. So what we've got to understand is that verses come in contexts. And so even though we're looking at one verse, we're going to look at it in the context that it sits. And that's a context both in the book in, or in the chapter, in the book, and in the entire Bible. One of the things that's really interesting is that when the Bible was written, it wasn't written with chapter and verse. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but when, when Paul or Peter or whoever wrote their book, <clears throat> they just wrote it. It wasn't until many years later that someone went back and added chapters and verses for the helpfulness of referencing things. That wasn't originally in there. And so even when we look at a verse, it is in a context of those other words around it that don't make up that particular verse. Every line is meant to be taken in light of the whole. And so it is important that we take it in context. And so our verse starts with the phrase, but you. Okay, but when we read that, it means that there was something before it that we're not, 
right? He says, but you are this, and so there's something before it that we are not. So who is this but you referring to, and who is the other group that is excluded from this? The context shows us that there are really two types of people. If you go up to verse 6, it says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. You see, that shows us that there are two groups of people. There are those who believe in Christ, and there are those who reject him and disobey the word. There is no middle ground. So everything Peter is about to tell us, everything that we're about to dive into and dissect and analyze and look at applies to only the group who have believed. See, we have this bad tendency to attribute to people that we look at and think that they're good people, nice people, kind people. We look at them and with the assumption that they're Christians so often. We look at our children or our friends' children or just friends who maybe even go to church and we have the assumption that they're Christians. We look at people who simply would believe that there is a God or say that, well, God had to create all these things with the assumption that they're Christians. But apart from genuine conversion and real faith and real repentance, not just toward a God, but toward Christ, without a turn toward Christ, there is no new birth. And rather, even you can believe in God and be in a camp does not believe and disobeys the word. You know, I think so often it would be better for us most of the time to assume people are not believers until we have sufficient evidence to think otherwise. Better us assume they're not believers and share the gospel with them rather than assume that they are and let them live their life believing that they had enough, they believed enough, they believed rightly. So there are only two groups, those who trust in Christ and those who don't. And so now Peter is about to tell us all these things about those who have trusted in Christ. And these things are true and only true about those people. So what does he say? He says, but you, but you Christians, those who have trusted in Christ, are a chosen race. What does that mean? What does that mean that we are a chosen race? We have a bunch of white people in here, but I think he means something different. What does it mean that we're a chosen race? When you think of the Bible and you look through the whole Bible, the, when the Bible is typically talking about a chosen race or chosen people, who would that be referring to? Israel. In the Old Testament, God chose Israel. They were his chosen race, his chosen people. We see this explained in Deut- Deuteronomy 7. Uh, and he says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth, to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you, his love on you, and chose you because you were more numerous than the other people, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery with the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt." So why did God choose Israel? Was it because that they were the most powerful nation? 
Did God choose Israel because they were the most advanced, because they had the most technology, because that they were the most educated or the most pure, the most holy? The biggest no. Of all of the groups, of all of the people groups, of all of the races, he chose to make the nation of Israel his people. He chose to set his affection on them. He chose to love them, not because they were great or awesome or big or holy or anything like that, but for the simple fact they were none of those things. So that they would know his love for them was not based on them, but on his grace. First Peter 2, 9, our verse this morning says, but you are a chosen race. So how are we a chosen race if we're Gentiles, non-Jews? See, if God's people is Israel, how is this now applying to us? How are we a chosen people? We are descended from all sorts of countries uh, that are not Israel in here. Romans 2.8 says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor a circumcision, that'd be the thing that marked a Jew, circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. You see, God's people are no longer marked by being of Israeli descent. They are no longer those who have the mark of circumcision. God's people are those who have circumcised hearts. God's people are those who have new hearts, those who have been born again who are in Christ. And so it means that if you are in this room and you are in Christ, then you, as Peter is telling us, are God's chosen people. You are a chosen people. It means that God chose to love you, that he chose to redeem you, that he chose to rescue you, to make you his even though, just like Israel, there was nothing about you that was attractive, that seemed redeemable, nothing about you that was special. It wasn't like God looked at you and went, man, I got to have you on my team. What do I got to do to get you? Rather, he looked at you and there was really nothing appealing and yet still he came and chose to make much of you in his son. He still chose to love you and set his affection on you. He chose you. He chose to love you and make you his. And not only that, but the gospel is so much bigger. God has made this new one race of a chosen people, a race that is not just made up of olive-skinned people in the Middle East, but a a chosen race that is made up of white people and black people and yellow people and red people and rich people and poor people and tall people and short people of all types of people, of every tribe, tongue, and nation, as the Bible would say. In a world where every day we hear more and more about how there are racially charged crimes and racially charged rhetoric, and every time we hear on the news about someone over here is anti-Semitic or someone over here is a racist, it is the gospel and the gospel alone that unites us. It is the gospel alone that brings healing that could create a room in which there could be people of every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered in a room, and we look at those people as brothers and sisters, not as people who are just different than us. The gospel makes a chosen people who are red, yellow, black, and white, and they are all precious in his sight. See, those who are in Christ are God's chosen people, and he has made us a new family, a family that is united not over skin color or nationality, but united by having the same king. We are a chosen people. But then he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. 
Listen, listen to this. I want to go back to Exodus 19 for a minute. In verse 5, it says, Now therefore, as he was talking to the children of Israel in the Old Testament, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. That's in, in Peter. Among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Isn't it amazing the promises God made to Israel thousands of years ago? Peter picks up that same language and he says, it is true of us. That God has made us his treasured possession. He has made us a holy nation. And as we're about to look, a kingdom of priests. And so what does Peter mean when he says that you are a royal priesthood? In the Old Testament, if you wanted to know God, if you wanted to find forgiveness, You couldn't just go do that on your own, right? What did you have to do? You had to go to the temple because God wasn't living in you. He wasn't just wherever he was in the temple. And if you wanted forgiveness, you had to go to the priest and you had to bring your sacrifice to the priest and let the priest go on your behalf and stand between God, you, and the priest in the middle, standing on behalf of you, advocating for you, praying to God on your behalf. A priest went into the presence of God. The priest made the sacrifice. You couldn't go into the presence of God because if you did, you would drop dead. You could not know God intimately or personally. The priest knew God on your behalf. He was out of your personal reach. God was out of your personal reach. That's in the Old Testament. But we have in our church an interestingly lot of people who grew up Catholic. I want to be clear, Catholics absolutely can be Christians, not bashing on Catholics, love Catholics, have friends that are Catholics. Catholics can be saved. But it's interesting to me, I hear a lot of stories of people in our church about how they grew up in the Catholic church and how they never learned the Bible, didn't know anything about the Bible, about how they never knew if they were right with God, about how they had to lean on the priest to know what to do or how to know God, or they had to pray to Mary to get Jesus' attention. That they, they couldn't, they were, that there was this barrier between them and God, and they had to go to the priest for confession, the priest to tell them what to do, leaning on the priest to know if they were right with God. But what Peter is telling us is that we don't need some other priest. You don't need some other person to find access to God. He says, we are a kingdom of priests. Everyone who belongs to Christ is a priest to God, which means you have unfettered access, unrestricted access. You don't need me to get to God. You don't need me to find forgiveness. You don't need me to pray. You don't need anyone else. You get to go straight to him. I love what Hebrews 4.13 says. It says we can boldly approach the throne of grace. You don't walk into the throne room of God like all timid and wondering if God's going to take, take, take the time to talk to you. You don't, get to, you don't have to timidly walk in there. No, it's just bold. You get to barge in there. God, I got something to talk about. And he says, come sit on my lap, son. We have unrestricted access. There's no one between us and God. We get straight to him, straight to the source. He wants to know you, and he's chosen you. He's made you a priest so you can have complete access. Anytime you want him, he's there. It's like in the movie uh, Santa Claus. You remember the old Tim Allen Santa Claus movie? When uh, uh, Charlie, his son, uh, wants to see his dad and misses his dad, and the chief elf, who knows the chief elf's name? 
Bernard, good job. Bernard, and he gives him that snow globe. And he says, anytime you want to see your dad, just shake the snow globe. And that one time, you know, Santa's off delivering all the presents. And Charlie, like he's been gone five minutes. And, and Charlie shakes the snow globe at the end of the movie. He's kind of looking around. Waits for a couple seconds and he doesn't see him. He's like, man, it didn't work. And then as he turns around, boom, there he is. He's like, I just left. What are you doing? But he, had, he could shake that and he could get access anytime he wanted. We don't have a snow globe because we don't need one. Think about this. In the Old Testament, where did the priest work? In the temple. Where is the temple now? We have become temples. Because God through the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We are priests. You have complete access because he's right here with you all the time. You are a priest. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So he has chose us. He has made us his, given us access to him. Because of all of that, we become like God. We become holy. To be holy means to be separate from or set apart different from something else. You know, you've heard the phrase, you know, live in the world, not of it, right? Be in the world, not of it. See, we live in the city of man, as Augustine would say, but are citizens of the city of God. So we are like foreigners here in this land, a part of a different city. We are foreigners advancing a kingdom that is not of this world, right? The kingdom that God is building all around us, and we're members of that kingdom, not this one. And because we're members of that kingdom, God is calling us to be holy. Because we are members of a different nation, he's calling us to be set apart, be different. And I think, I think a, a, a lot of times we've, we've kind of messed this up, how we're supposed to be different. Right? Sometimes we thought... In the past, we thought we were going to be different uh, by the clothes we wore, or we were going to be uh, different by not drinking alcohol or, or not having the appearance of some sort of evil. You're not supposed to have the appearance of evil, but that we're not, that we're somehow, we're not playing cards because playing cards is evil, right? We're, we're not doing that. We're not dancing because dancing is evil. And for, I think for a while, we thought that that's what made us different, but that's not what makes us wholly indifferent, right? But rather, when the world looks at us, what should they see? How should, how should we be holy? How should we be set apart? The Bible's clear that the world should know us by our love for one another. What does the world think when they see us fight amongst one another, be mean to one another? The world should see us and see humility, see compassion, see grace, see forgiveness, see generosity. What do they see when they look at us, fellowship? Do they see just another group of Americans who are into some religious weird thing? Or do they see people who act, think, and believe, and live so completely different that they look at us and they can't make sense of it? Do they look at us and go, why are these people the way that they are? Why are these people the way that they are? They look like me, but they are different. They, like joy. Like they've got joy. Not just like fleeting happiness, but like a deep-seated deep-rooted joy. When they look at us endure suffering and see the joy that we have in the midst of suffering, 
we are holy and set apart. When the world scratches their head because they don't understand why we are the way that we are, why we're so weird, that's when you know we're, we're doing it right. When they look at us and then they can't understand why we're so forgiving or so humble or generous or patient or loving, when they look at us and we do not give in to fleeting sinful pleasures, they scratch their head at us because of holiness. And it is our holiness and otherness and set-apartness that will be part of the thing that draws them. I need to understand why y'all are so different. I must understand what has caused you to live this way or think this way or be this way. Next, he says, a people for his own possession. Have you ever heard the phrase, salvation is not a get-out-of-hell-free card? I see it on t-shirts and things, you know, on social media. What people mean when they say salvation is not a get-out-of-hell-free card is that knowing Jesus is more than just not having to go to hell. Knowing Jesus is more than just, I get to go to heaven now, and I can do whatever I want. Salvation means you no longer belong to yourself, that you've been bought with the price. And the Bible says, and here it says again, that you are the possession of God. You belong to him. You are his property. He has redeemed you, and you belong to him. Which if he was an evil being, that would be a terrifying idea. But since he is this all-loving, kind, gracious king, we willingly place ourselves in his possession knowing we are in good hands. But it also means that we are incredibly valuable. Recently, uh, Michael Jordan had a childhood uh, jersey from when he was like 10 years old, basketball jersey when he was like 10 years old. And it got auctioned off and it sold for some ungodly amount of millions of dollars. Why is that? Why was someone willing to pay for a, a piece of cloth that Michael Jordan wore when he was 10, around 10 years old playing basketball? The jersey itself was worth practically nothing, but because of who the shirt belonged to, it had incredible value. If you are in Christ, listen to me, you belong to the creator of the universe. And so on the days and moments when you are down and when you think no one loves you, when no one, is a, no one wants to be around you, when you think you're a failure, when you think you're worthless, remember that when you belong to the Lord, you are incredibly valuable. Because the MVP of the universe, the greatest being, wanted you so much that he was willing to send his own son to die a brutal, horrible death so that he could get you back. That's how valuable you are. So valuable that he made you a royal priest so that you would be his and have access to him alone. You have so much value that compared to Michael Jordan's championship rings, those are worth pennies on the dollar compared to you in the sight of God. You belong to the Lord, and that means you have incredible value. Next, he says, that we, that we proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So he said that you're a chosen race, that you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're a people for his own possession. Why are you all of these things? So that now you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
The, the word excellencies is interesting here. It's, I don't think it's the best way of bringing this into English, but rather I think, I think a better word uh, that comes across from the Greek is, is really the, the word wonder, to proclaim the wonder or the wondrous acts of him. I think it's important because if we're going to proclaim to the world about who God is, if you are going to tell the world who God is, You've got to stand in wonder at who he is. You must be in amazement at who he is and what he's done, or you're not going to be able to proclaim to the world who he is. If you're going to proclaim the excellencies of him, you must know his excellencies. If you're going to proclaim the wonder of him, you must understand the wonder. And what what do I mean? Martin Lloyd-Jones was a famous preacher in uh, mid-1900s, 1930, 1940, somewhere in there. And one of the things Dr. Lloyd-Jones would often do is he would ask people, are you a Christian? And depending on how they responded, he would kind of think one way or the other about it. So, so if he came to you and he said, hey, are you a Christian? And you said, well, of course. Then he would kind of begin to have some doubts on whether or not you actually were. But if he came to you and he said, hey, are you a Christian? And you had said something to the effect of, only by the grace of God am I a Christian then he would have no doubts. He'd go, yes, that person is in. And that's not the perfect litmus test by any means of the imagination. But what was he getting at? He was getting at if you wonder at yourself, right? if you think, you know, it makes sense that God wanted to save me because look at me, I'm so great. If you thought God must have me on his team, if you think you don't need that much forgiveness, then you're amazed at yourself. And you will never be able to really proclaim the wonder or excellencies of God. Because if you see yourself as one who used to be in such darkness, and one who has been rescued out by the mighty hand of the gracious God, it is a completely different view. If you wonder at yourself and you think, you know what, I need a God a little bit, but really, I kind of got this. Then you're not going to be able to tell the world about the wonderful amazement of what God has done in your life. But if you look at your life and you see, man, I was, I was in utter darkness. Like I was on the edge of hell and God with a mighty hand reached down and rescued me out of that. By his grace, I was running this way and somehow he just slapped me and woke me up and brought me out of that. And if you stand in wonder and amazement at who you are and who now God has made you, then when you tell people about him, that will come across when you tell people about him, they will go, I don't know if I believe what this person is saying, but I sure know they do. And I know it's changed them. So my question for you this morning is, do you wonder in amazement at yourself or do you wonder in amazement at God and what he's done in your life? See, church, this is who we are. We are chosen by God, not because we were great but so that his greatness might be shown in us. We have been made a royal priest with unrestricted access to God. We have been made holy so that the world will now see that we are different. We belong to him and so we are incredibly valuable. And we are now called to share the marvelous, wondrous deeds of a God who would send his own son into darkness so that he could rescue us out of that same darkness and bring us into the kingdom of light. This is who we are and this is what we do. This is who we are. 
If you're here this morning and you do not belong to Christ, if you don't believe in Christ, not just that there's a God, but if you've looked at yourself and you've thought, you know what, I'm a pretty good person, just need a little bit of forgiveness, and now maybe you think, you know, really I'm not. Really I'm not that great. Really I've messed up a lot. I've made a lot of mistakes, and I'm really in darkness. God will pull you up out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He will make you his chosen people. He will make you a royal priest. He will make you holy and transform your life and make you new and make you belong to him. And he will care for you. Today, he calls you out of that darkness. And the question is, will you let him pull you out of it into into his marvelous light? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We pray that you would take your word and you would write it on our hearts and you would take these truths and this one verse that we've broken down and that you would show us that you have made us a people that we're not a people. You've made us somebody. You've made us valuable. You've chosen us. You have made us priests in your kingdom. You've given access to you. You've made us something. We get to know you. We get to be loved by you. We get to proclaim you to the world. If you're here this morning and you do not know the glory, wonder, amazement of a God who would rescue you, I want you to come find out. Some of our deacons are up here. I'm going to be up here. We'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. If there's anything going on in your life, you just want to pray about it. You just want to be hugged. You just want to come kneel at these steps and pray for a loved one. Pray for something big or small going on in your life. I just want to encourage you to do that. God, give us a strength this morning to respond how your spirit would lead us. We love you. In Christ's name we pray all those people say. Stand and sing.